Thank you very much, Peter and Ilza. Now to continue with some more actuarial <laughs> topics after that. Um, the first topic we have is a presentation and update from Assistic. With the dawn of SAM, the short-term insurance industry is experiencing a number of far-reaching changes and developments. One of the most important of these is the introduction of the role of the head of actuarial control. This is a relatively new concept in the South African short-term insurance industry. And unlike our life counterparts, we do not have the benefit of years of statutory actuary experience to refer back to. The ASA Short-Term Insurance Committee, or STIC, has, through its professional guidance subcommittee, been working feverishly behind the scenes to develop guidance for its members around the role of the hack. Today, we are pleased to be able to share some of the feedback with you regarding the committee's efforts and progress on this highly important initiative. There will be three, present, three presenters from the um, professional guidance subcommittee. The first is Yaku van der Maver. Yaku is a director at Deloitte with over 12 years of industry experience and heads up the short-term insurance actuarial practice in South Africa. He provides the full spectrum of actuarial services to insurance players, both locally and abroad. Yaku serves as deputy to the ASSISTIC and also chairs the STIC Professional Guidance Subcommittee, who is responsible for the practicing certificates, professional guidance notes, and consideration, consideration of related matters pertaining to professional guidance. Second speaker is Lisa Pines. Lisa is the General Manager Actuarial at the Credit, Insurance, Credit Guarantee Insurance Company. Prior to that, she headed up the non-life actuarial consulting practice at Towers Watson and was a director at QED Actuaries and Consultants. She is a past convener of the ASSA Short-Term Insurance Committee and currently leads the professional guidance note work stream. Third speaker is Lynette Carlitz. Lynette is the head of the second line actuarial at Mutual and Federal. Her oversight covers all subsidiaries and entities in South Africa and the rest of Africa. Lynette has a passion for research and is the chair of the Assistic Research Committee. She's also an active member of the Professional Guidance Note Workstream. Welcome. Okay, good morning everyone. Um, after that uh, riveting introduction, I will do my best to keep you entertained uh, and stimulated, uh, although I'm sure Lisa and Lynette will probably do a far better job than I will. So we're very pleased to be able to speak to you this morning on behalf of the Actuarial Society and in particular um, in, on behalf of the Professional Guidance Subcommittee. There has been a great deal of work happening behind the scenes um, around the role of the hack. Um, we stand here uh, as representatives of Actuarial Society today but uh, it's important to remember that we are also uh, in the industry, we have our own jobs our um, own uh, companies and, and work to consider, and ultimately we here as volunteers um, working on this development. So we're going to take you through the developments as they stand today, but by the end of this I'd like you to please um, get involved, share your views, give your opinions and your, and your insights, because ultimately this is something that we're doing for ourselves as volunteers, and your, um, it's really important to you. Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of background uh, on how this process has come about, after which I'll hand to Lisa and Lynette, who will take you through the actual detail of the proposed guidance note. So a guidance note is being worked on in the background. That's going to be a guidance note for members of short-term insurance around what the role of the head of actuarial control actually is. So you may or may not be aware that the Actuarial Society has a number of different practice areas. 
Short-term insurance is just one of that, but there's life insurance, healthcare, finance, banking, investments, and a real long list. So there are more than enough opportunities to get involved. But the reason why you are all here today, I hope you realize this is, but this is the short-term insurance practice area that, that we represent. Um, in particular, the short-term insurance committee exists, which is one of the com practice area committees, and it has a number of different roles. It's constituted with a chair, deputy chair, number of subcommittees, each with a chair, um, secretaries, the FSB, SICA, SIA. There are lots of representation and a lot of representatives on the short-term insurance committee. Those are just the formal roles in STIC, but there are a number of other subcommittees and volunteers and people, and really a great deal of individuals and, and professionals who contribute. My role is the chair of the subcommittee of professional gardens, as the introduction said, which is one of the uh, uh, subcommittees that you see on the screen. Sorry, on the screen in front of you, the others being things like communication, legislation, uh, research, education, and so on. In particular, the professional garden subcommittee has two working streams, two legs. The first being that of gardens notes, which is what we're here for today. And the other one that we're not going to be speaking about today is that then of um, practicing certificates. But you can see how those two work together. The guidance note uh, work stream is led by Lisa Pines on my left. Um, and you're probably aware that to date we really only have one guidance note in short-term insurance that of reserving. Um, but there's a lot of effort underway to introduce new ones. And one of those, which we think will be called APN 403, is that of the head of actual control. So, and there's another one coming soon as well. So, if we think about how this process has evolved, the journey that's been behind it, uh, it's important to remember that if we look at the maturity of the short-term insurance industry over time as compared to the life insurance industry, things are very different. The life insurance industry has a very long and rich history of actuarial involvement in insurance companies. Um, there's a strong background and framework around professional gardens. Um, the legislation looks far more mature in terms of things like capital and reserves. Um, and that's it, a, a much longer run-up into this. So in the last few years, the transition towards the head of actual control and, and that particular role has, has come from a position where there's been statutory actuary roles that's, that are well understood and entrenched in the industry. So for them to get to the ultimate goal of 2017, SAM compliance with an actual control role, is a very different journey. Um, the short-term insurance experience, on the other hand, should be framed a bunch, a whole bunch of interventions and developments that have come about in the last few years. So you probably, I can see by uh, the youthful expressions on some of your faces, that some of you probably have no idea of the rather uh, simple requirements we used to have in the day uh, for reserves. You know, IBNR used to be 7% of premium. That was good for everyone, whether you did credit, engineering, motor, whatever, everyone was 7%, and your capital was 15%. So, you know, coming from a, a really undeveloped base like that to where we are today, you can imagine is a, a leap of giant proportions. Along the uh, development, though, there have been developments for reserving. So APN 401 came about. Um, the role of the statutory actuary was eventually introduced in legislation. So you may not be aware that the, the act as it currently stands actually allows for the role of the statutory actuary in short term. The FSB may appoint under circumstances that it deems necessary. Um, 
Not long after that, board notice 169 followed, uh, which gave more guidance on interim measures, um, you know, reserving capital, all of that. And really, a lot of these things have only really been introduced in the last, let's call it a decade or so, which is nothing compared to where the life industries come from. Um, but ultimately, yeah, we are working towards 2017 as well, just as the life industry is. Um, and we are trying to pull all of this development together while it was getting ready for SAM. Um, at the same time, we are not only just trying to grapple with the idea of uh, STAT Act, but we're also trying to work out what does it mean for us uh, to have an actual control function or a head of actual control. And you can imagine with the shortage of resources in our space, that is a pretty tricky question to address. So, APN 403 is envisaged to be the guidance note that will be available and that will be guiding members on the role um, of the the um, hack, as we like to call it. A bit of a strange uh, abbreviation, but I think it's fairly apt. Um, the process started just over a year ago, and we have actually have a lot of people who've contributed to, uh, to this over the time. I haven't been able to mention everyone by name on here, but the working party or the stream that Lisa Pines has been leading has comprised the number of individuals that you'll see on the screen. In particular, there have been a whole bunch of things that fed into that process. Uh, I'm not going to touch on them in detail, Lisa will expand on that, but you know, a big driver has been the position paper 83. We've liaised quite closely with our uh, colleagues from the LAC on the life insurance side, some of the individuals there. Um, and, in, and we've also referred to guidance coming from UK and from, um, and from Europe under Solvency 2 around what things should look like. So, yeah, uh, the focus of this stream is not to consider what, is it, what are your qualifications in order to be a hack. It's more around if you have a hack, what exactly does that role entail? And I think at this point I just want to make specific uh, mention and give specific thanks to Lisa, Lynette, and Walter Sosa. I'm, I hope, I haven't seen Walter today, but um, these three individuals put a substantial amount of their own personal time into developing and actually coming up with a primary, the first draft of what this guidance note needs to look like. So, um, with that quick introduction and background, I'm actually going to ask uh, Lisa to take it from here and really take you through the exciting stuff. So if you're still awake, hang on to your seats. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jakob, for setting the context. Um, you know, when people, ask, when people ask you what you do and you say you're an actuary and you get kind of blank looks, so now you can tell them, many of you will be able to tell them that you're a hack. <laughs> and um, I told my teenage daughters that I'm going to be speaking today about the role of the hack, and I asked them what came to mind uh, when they heard the word hack. So there were three things. The one was uh, a professional computer hacker, um, quite a nerdy guy. <laughs> uh, the second thing was an executioner who hacks people's heads off. <laughs> and the third thing was a weird guy who lives in a tree. <laughs> so um, hopefully the only thing we're going to be executing as the hack is position paper 83 and the SAM regulations. Um, but that's where our starting point is. Position paper, um, SAM position paper 83 says... Um, that all insurance companies must have an actuarial control function headed up by, uh, by the HAC. And um, in, for smaller and simpler companies, the, the HAC doesn't necessarily need to be independent from the first line um, 
actuarial function. Um, so the, the paper goes further to say that the main functions or the main responsibilities of the hack are to review and attest to the reliability and adequacy of technical provisions, um, the SCR calculation, whether that be the standard formula or internal model, um, and also the technical provisions and the capital requirements which form part of your also projections. So those are all things that actuaries are, are fairly familiar with, have quite a lot of expertise in. Um, in addition to that, um, we're also required to express an opinion on underwriting policy, um, the actuarial soundness of premiums, asset and liability management, um, the asset and liability management policy, reinsurance policy, and the adequacy of reinsurance arrangements. So there are a couple of uh, key things that I want to bring to your attention here. The first is the difference that, um, between um, the review and a test and expressing an opinion. Um, so I came across a quote which actually puts it quite nicely, which says, your opinion is only your opinion, and it shouldn't be confused with the truth. <laughs> um, so th that's, a, that's a bit exaggerated, but basically we had to, one of the, the first things we had to understand when drafting this guidance note was the difference between what it means to review and attest versus what it means um, to provide your opinion. Um, so when you're reviewing and attesting to something, it's, it's a quite a formal, it's, it's actually a formal sign-off that you're giving, that you're guaranteeing um, to, to, uh, to the board, effectively, because that's who you're reporting to, um, that your reserves are, are, are adequate and, and, um, and correct, and your, your, your solvency um, cap, ca uh, calculations, um, both now and, and, and in future, are correct. Um, and so we had to be quite uh, formal and strict in, in the requirements for the, um, for the hack in this regard. And for each, for each of these sections, we, we've set out um, assertions which are made and, and a scope. For example, uh, for reserving, the assertions relate to appropriate method, methodology, appropriate assumptions, appropriate models. Um, and the scope will include, for example, that we have to have, to have a, an actual versus expected analysis. On the other hand, an opinion is something else. Um, just looking at, at how the, the UK um, Institute and Faculty Working Party defines it, um, they defined as an, an opinion as an actuarial-based view which is intended to inform the board and also actually to stimulate debate and discussion. Um, so it's, it's not something that we're formally signing off. And therefore, the way that we've structured the guidance note is actually to give, um, to provide considerations that, that the HEC must uh, take into account when formulating their opinion. Um, so this actually leads to, uh, this leads to some interesting questions, and, and they largely relate to um, the difference between the South African guidance under SAM and um, compared to Solvency 2. Because the second thing that I want to point out is that SAM actually goes quite a bit further than Solvency 2 in what's required from the HEC. So um, the, the parts that are underlined, uh, that are shown in red, are actually included in SAM, but not in Solvency 2. So SAM requires us to um, express an opinion on the actuarial soundness of premiums, 
um, and also on the reinsurance policy. So over and above the adequacy of the reinsurance arrangements, we have to comment on, we have to give our opinion on the insurance policy and, and, and um, the, the underwriting policy. Um, the UK guidance actually interprets the, the, the underwriting policy as the actuarial sinus of, um, as the actuarial um, opinion on the underwriting policy. So effectively, what South African hacks are required to do in a, um, which goes beyond what the, what, you, uh, what the European hacks are required to do is to comment on policies. And policies isn't where we have our specific actuarial training. And this gives rise to some interesting questions. So when we're giving an actuarial um, opinion on an on underwriting policy, for example, um, should we just be commenting on the more actuarial components of that, which is... Um, whether, uh, whether adequate data is being used um, to make underwriting decisions, for example? Or should this go further and should we be commenting um, and giving our opinion on whether underwriting policy has been implemented um, or whether the underwriting uh, processes have been documented? And we had quite a heated debate in our um, working party about this kind of issue uh, because we felt, you know, these things are actually defined as the responsibility of, of internal audit. The internal audit is, um, is actually required to, to state whether the policies um, are, um, are in accordance with SAM and whether they're being implemented. So is it not a duplication that we're also being asked um, or, or potentially being asked to do, do the same thing? And should we include um, those aspects in our, in our, um, in our APN? Um, in our advisory practice note. So ultimately, the decision that we came to, and obviously this is also open for debate because now the, the next step is actually that the, the draft APN is gonna go out to all of you um, to ask your opinions. So we've included those types of things in the APN, but we've also, stated, we've also placed emphasis on where reliance has been placed on other parties. Um, and then that brings me to um, the next issue um, so throughout, uh, throughout our discussions, we realized that there's, there's heavy interreliance between the HEC and the other, um, the other assurance providers within the various lines of defense. Um, so the HEC will depend on the head of risk, uh, the head of internal audits, um, the head of compliance, also on first-line actuarial if it's separate, um, and on external audit, audit for certain things, for example, data quality and, and financials. Um, in turn, external audit and all the functions, but in particular external audit, is going to rely on, on us as the hacks quite a lot. Um, and, and we already see this kind of difficulty arising because of the duplication um, that it potentially gives rise to. So what will happen, um, well, what happens in my company, for example, is um, our reserves are calculated by our finance team and then I, I'm the statutory actuary, so I review um, the reserves. And then we have an independent review by, indepe by independent consultants. And then our auditor also reviews our reserve. So there is quite a lot of du duplication and lot, lots of different sets of results. It gives rise to confusion. It gives rise to cost. And uh, from the, the discussions that I've had with other actuaries, um, this has been happening in, in, in several companies. And we need to find a way to just ensure efficiency. I mean, I think the, the, the concept is, is well illustrated by an Indian fable of um, the, the three blind men and the elephant. 
So these three blind men are given the task of analyzing an elephant, and the one touches the tail and he thinks it's a rope, um, one touches the side and he thinks it's a wall, and the third one touches the trunk um, and he thinks it's a, a branch of a tree. And what they really need to be doing is actually working together to analyze this elephant as a team. Um, and they need to decide what each of those, their, their roles are within the team. Um, so we've, we've tried to bring this, uh, this type of lesson into, um, into our thinking in, deve in developing the APN um, in terms of making sure that the hack for each company actually has a very specific um, and th well thought out terms of reference as to what their role is and how they interact with other assurance providers. And then, um, this isn't actually in the APN, but it's been discussed within the industry, um, and, and we are certainly in the process of setting up this uh, the structure in our company, and that is to have a, a combined assurance forum. Because effectively, all the assurance providers are working towards the same goal, and that is risk management, effective risk management um, in the company. And it's important for them to work together to assess where to depend on each other, rather than duplicating um, or, or, or having uh, areas which are actually missed out because everyone's so narrowly focused. Um, so bringing this all together to give you an overview of the structure of the guidance notes, um, the first section summarizes the hack requirements under SAM. And then we have an introduction which actually addresses these issues that I've been talking to you about. So the attestation versus an opinion, reliance on others, um, and the, the terms of reference for the hack. Um, and in addition, um, th there's also been quite a bit of discussion as to what's, what's the minimum required uh, through the regulations versus what's best practice. Because many, there are many actuaries who go quite a lot further um, than... Uh, than what's simply required in terms of the guidance, and their terms of reference should actually state um, the, the additional, uh, what's required additionally in terms of their own specific roles. Um, the rest of the guidance note actually outlines each of the specific areas that we're required to, um, to focus on. There's, well, there's a reporting section explaining um, what needs to go into the report, and then the various areas where we're required to attest um, so th so th those are the ones shown in dark blue, the technical provisions, the SCR calculation, and the ORSA, and the, the areas where we, we are required to give an opinion. And I'm going to hand you over to Lynette now, who will take you through, we, we, we don't have time to go through each and every one of these, but she'll take you through an example, just to give you an, an idea of, of what we've, we're putting forward. Thanks, Lisa. Um, the two sections that I'll be covering in detail would be the SCR calculation as well as the underwriting policy. So on the SCR calculation, the hack is required to review and attest to the reliability and adequacy of the SCR. Now the SCR in this sense would include the SCR whether it is calculated using a full internal model or a partial internal model, user specified parameters or otherwise the, the same standard formula. In this section, I would really like to highlight that reliance on third parties is quite important in terms of, as Lisa mentioned before, where the external auditors could potentially have a discussion with a hack on where they can rely on their work. And then otherwise, for insurers who use an internal model where model validation would be performed, 
the hack could potentially rely on an, a different assurance provider where they would do the model validation parts of the work. And then I'm just going to go through a few of the assertions. So what the assertions mean is that it's the minimum requirements that the hack would need to ensure that it's, it complies with that list. And then we also have a best practice area where, um, as Lisa mentioned before, where the, the hack would go wider in terms of the review. And these assertions aren't, that's not the full list. So in the APN, you will find a full list. So in terms of the work that the hack would need to do, um, the hack would need to review the methodology and assumptions to ensure that it complies with SAM regulation. In addition to that, the data would need to be, be um, accurate, complete, as well as fit for purpose. The application of proportionality is important to have a look at and ensure that it's applied correctly. And then the other important point is around the interpretation of the technical specifications. The hack would need to have a view on if it's implemented correctly and if there's any concerns around the, the interpretation of the technical specifications in some areas. The controls around the modeling, the data, setting of assumptions, the review of the calculation, etc., would need to be reviewed in terms of the controls around it, if it's effective, and if there are any control failures, the hack would need to report on that and potentially also um, the implications of such control failures. And in terms of full and partial, in, partial internal models, the hack would also need to look at the coverage of those models and if it takes into account the full risk universe of the insurer. The frequency of the review is recommended to be at least annually. And a best practice hack would be looking at the use test as well as simplifications in terms of the SCR calculation. The underwriting policy was a section that we struggled with quite a bit as a working group because it's something that's not entirely actuarial in the way that you think, well, that we all do our work currently. So um, the hack is required to express an opinion on the overall underwriting policy. The underwriting policy relates to any policy document or process document that outlines the examination, classification, and acceptance of risks in the insurance company. The considerations that the hack would need to um, look at in, in order to provide an opinion would include that the policy is in line with the business strategy, the risk appetite, the risk management, and then also that the risk that they accept it falls within the risk appetite. Sorry, I said it the wrong way around. And then on the policy itself, practically what it means is that the hack would look at the, the policy that the insurer has, um, ensure that it's compliance with, in compliance with SAM, and that it's appropriately documented. And then in terms of the policy, the hack would need to check that what's stated in the document is, is also applied in practice, and the controls around the policy and the processes are applied correctly. If there are any control failures or control issues, it would need to be highlighted. And the delegation of authority point is also very important in the case of the insurer delegating, for example, the underwriting or the pricing side to uh, another party. And then, in, in addition to that, the data in terms of quality, accuracy, and completeness, as well as fit for purpose, would need to be checked. And then, lastly, um, reliance on other assurance providers. I think in this sense, it's a very important point, as Lisa mentioned before, because as actuaries, we're not really, we don't always do work in terms of checking policy, compliance, and application of controls, and so on. So what we would recommend perhaps is that the hack 
look to internal audit or to say the risk governance compliance function in their organization to see which areas of the scope another assurance provider can help. And what could also happen is perhaps some of the scope could be done by another assurance provider and the hack could then do the other um, remaining parts of it. But in this sense, it's also very, very important to check that the scope that those other insurance providers um, follow, that it complies with what the hack would need. Because otherwise, it would be a bit of a struggle for the hack to rely on those other insurance providers if it doesn't really entirely comply with what the hack needs to do. And in terms of the frequency of review, an in-depth review is required or recommended at least every three years. And for any major changes, it should be done annually. And then any other review can be done as needed, for example, when the risk profile of the insurance company changes or if they write a new line of business, etc. So then in terms of next steps, um, as Lisa and Jakob already mentioned how the process works, how we fit into STIC and into ASA, there's quite a few governance structures that the APN still needs to go through before it can get to industry for comment. But we would just like to give everyone a heads up that it will be coming through ASA to your inbox and we'd really value everyone's comments and recommendations because as we mentioned before, we are a working group of industry volunteers and we're all still learning around the hack role and what it means and how it can be practically applied and yeah, any comments would be welcome and appreciated. And then just in terms of other um, activities within the work stream, so the additional APN that Yaku briefly mentioned is the actuarial standards for actuaries in short-term insurance. What this practice note entails is an overarching framework. So it's um, all the standards in terms of accounting and actuarial standards that an actuary should refer to when performing any actuarial work. And this will be coming to you shortly as well. It's also still going through the various ASA and STIC governance structures. And then lastly, we're also looking at updating the APN 401 reserving net and um, in terms of aligning for SAM and so on, but that will be coming through um, at a later stage. We're still, we're, we've not yet started on updating that. And then just before we close for questions, I would just like to again highlight in terms of our talk, we wanted to give you a heads up of the hack scope and that we would really like your comments and inputs and uh, yeah, any involvement would be appreciated. And now we'd be happy to take any questions. Thank you. Hi, um, everyone. I just want to know if the independence requirement will be f I definitely for the areas where you have to review and your test. But is it also required when you just express an opinion? For instance, can the hack look after the reinsurance department, for instance? So can I, make, can I just make sure that we heard the question correctly, Anna-Marie? So you're asking, in terms of the independence, is it only applicable to where a test, a test attestation happens or also on the opinion side of things? Okay. We can, I mean, you can, you can give it a go. You said you want to take it? Um, Anna-Marie, I, I think it's actually open to the, according to my understanding of position paper 83, it's open to the discretion of the company when they set the terms of reference um, in their particular case. So 
it, it always comes down to propor proportionality. So in cases where it's a simple company, um, the hack doesn't need to be independent at all, even for the attestations. Um, whereas a much more complex company, they might need to be independent for, for all the, everything, including the opinions. I think if I can just add to that also, we also see the, the potential that you have the hack role being fulfilled by multiple individuals. It, it, you know, that's also a question that came up. So it's not to say that one person is going to satisfy the entire scope of the hack in an insurance company. So that may also give rise to a situation where you have certain elements of that requirement being addressed by certain individuals who have other roles. But where they do provide that attestation, and, it's, and if, it, as Lisa says, it's proportional, they at least, at least need to demonstrate independence in regards to the activity that they're attesting or that what they're attesting on, yeah. Just in, in addition, just to add, um, in addition to everything that we've mentioned, position paper 83 does mention that an independent review of the hack will be required every three years. And we haven't actually covered, in, in our APN, we haven't started to consider what that independent review will, will entail. Okay, well, I guess if there are no other questions, um, you can expect to see the uh, first or the draft version being circulated uh, out for comment very soon. Um, please take the time to read through it carefully. Um, this is something that, w you know, as Lisa and Lynette have said, we are volunteers. We, we are also subject to this, so we're drafting this for you because we are essentially part of you. So please help us in getting something together that we can actually abide by as an industry. Okay, thanks.